2: Welcome back to Bedrock USA. We're your hosts. I'm Kathleen Quillian.
1: And I'm Samantha Story. This is Chapter 3 of The School Board Queen, a three-part miniseries about Bridget Ziegler, a conservative mom who's shaking up America's school boards. For the last chapter in this miniseries, we're going to dig in with Bridget. She told us she's been called a racist, homophobic. We want to understand why she's been called those names, the stances she's taken that would elicit such a strong reaction. We're also going to talk to a trans teenager, an 11th grader who's living through the before and after of the Florida Parental Rights and Education Act. We invited Bridget back to our hotel. We met her in the lobby. She was really dressed up, black cocktail dress, heels, hair curled and makeup done, heavily perfumed. She had plans to meet her family at the country club later on. We found a quiet spot away from the other hotel guests. It was downpouring outside and the air conditioning was working overtime. We had a lot of questions. First, we wanted to know what the catalyst was for the parental rights movement. She says it got on her radar during those initial pandemic lockdowns, when schools were closed, parents were trying to navigate online schooling while juggling jobs and everything else, And to say it was a mess is an understatement. And then the news of George Floyd came out, his murder by the police in May 2020. A huge protest movement was born. And while some parents were sitting at home trying to navigate online learning with their kids, sometimes they came across things they didn't like.
3: There was a brain pop video, and but if anyone has elementary children, you'll know what that is. It's very commonly used. And this was right after the summer of 2020, right? So all the protests.
4: This movie explores a sensitive subject. Please watch this movie with an adult and take time to discuss it.
5: Dear Nat and Moby, why are so many people protesting about racism? I thought we fixed all that stuff a long time ago. From Ethan. I wish that were true, Ethan. Structural racism is a factor in some disturbing trends. Black people are nearly six times more likely than whites to be imprisoned. And black men are killed by police at more than twice the rate of white men. Like on May 25th, 2020. That's when a black man named George Floyd died in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He was killed by a white police officer. During an arrest, Officer Derek Chauvin pulled Mr. Floyd to the ground. Chauvin knelt on his neck and stayed there for close to nine minutes.
3: And a parent reached out to me with this video, and it was about the protests and George Floyd. But it had undertones of, you know, it was very clear, like, very pro-Black Lives Matter movement, talking about social, systemic racism, talking about defunding the police, like, promoting defunding the police, not talking about it, like, promoting defunding the police, using Minneapolis as an example and saying, at the end of it, there was, like, a call to action to the children. And you can make your difference, too. Like, children are already doing it across the country. Well, this isn't about blaming the police.
5: When an officer abuses their power, that's just a symptom. The problem is much more widespread than that, which is why we need everybody's help to change things. And that's what these protests are about, raising awareness and calling for action. And guess what? It's already starting to work. In Minneapolis, the city council voted to remake the police department from the ground up. Other cities are thinking about similar measures. It seems like overnight, the whole country has woken up and realized what a big problem racism is. We're living through a huge historical moment right now, so remember it. When we raise our voices to say something's wrong, adults listen. Because, let's face it, kids tell it like it is. And believe it or not, adults are inspired by that. You can start by asking questions about things in your world. is there something in your own community
3: or school that bothers you? Listen to your inner sense of right and wrong People have different opinions of this a very heavy topic to unpack, and to me, there were parents who were really frustrated and I equally saw it and I was like, wow that's that really happened and I think that's interesting. Uh, So I brought it to our superintendent's attention and I posted on Facebook and it went, like, everywhere.
0: Well, more than 100 or so parents showed up to tonight's board meeting, some with strong opinions about why they think racial sensitivity should be taught in the classroom. Others argue the curriculum would be too politically charged. This debate all started after parents discovered a video on the learning platform BrainPop, which talks about the Black Lives Matter movement.
3: The next meeting, I remember going into my school board meeting thinking I was going to have an hour, five hours worth of people calling me racist. And I was prepared for that because I did not believe that was appropriate um, material for elementary students, particularly without parents being around or being prepared to have that conversation with their children and navigating through that and taking those positions because some of them are pretty extreme in my personal opinion.
4: More on that after the break. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
0: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
1: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny.
0: Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films, and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura podcast network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Bridget says the video is inappropriate for elementary school students. But here's the thing. It wasn't even assigned by any teacher to any class in the Sarasota School District. The superintendent confirmed this. But that wasn't until after Bridget shared it to Facebook and her post went viral and was covered by the national media. The video is one of many animated shorts put out by BrainPop. They're an educational site that's been around for over 20 years. Their videos are geared to elementary and middle school students. Their site is popular and well-trusted by educators. Many school districts all over the country use their videos to supplement lessons. We reached out to BrainPop for comment. They said, quote, Our goal is always to provide background knowledge and context and encourage viewers to think, reflect, and form their own evidence-based conclusions. After the heated school board meeting and after the Facebook post went viral, Bridget made an observation. There were a lot of like-minded parents out there. And she saw an opportunity. A few months later, Bridget partnered with a couple of women she knew in the school board circle. Together, they founded their right-wing activist group, Moms for Liberty. The group's initial goal was to help people run for school boards and push for change. Nowadays, their activism is broader. They provide guidance on how to fundraise for school boards, track legislative issues, and review curriculum. And the group has seen an explosion of growth. In 2022, they added over 100,000 members. They even sell sweatshirts and t-shirts that say, we do not co-parent with the government. And Moms for Liberty are bold in their stances. They post a lot of misinformation on their social media feeds about gender dysphoria, transitioning, and how becoming trans is like a social contagion. Almost all of it is scientifically incorrect. Their accounts have gone through cycles of being suspended and reinstated. Bridget has tweeted and shared some of these posts. We asked her about this.
3: So when it comes down to these emotional topics, I know where I stand as a human being. I know I know what my journey is. I know that there is no hate. There is nothing about me that is seeking to vilify or make any subpopulation feel less than anyone else because that is not my belief. But if you're starting to change documents and facility usage and names and field trips and all sorts of things, it's the second step that when those families are engaged, you're purposely keeping that from them. So I guess that's my, it's really the second step that's like the most egregious to me. But it's also the treatment. And then you're cutting a family member out who may be very well playing a very vital role in this process. And just because there's an assumption, they might not. They get cut out. I just think that I know it's wrong.
1: When we talked to Bridget that day in the hotel, she answered a lot of questions, but she also volunteered her beliefs on gender identity without any prompt from us at all. She says she's done a ton of research.
3: I will take the arrows of being called whatever because I know where I'm coming from this at, uh, the way in which I'm coming from it at. And I think it is absolutely worth fighting for because I foresee and we are starting to already see the end results that it's a lot more widespread than we thought and I say we thought like it's not because they're trans transgender people I don't care that you be you but the devastation it's having on young people's minds and families is my concern and when you have in front of your eyes where there are people taking an active role of creating those processes to allow that to happen I think that's wrong.
1: Bridget says she doesn't mind being attacked for her point of view. She's fully aware that her opponents call her homophobic and transphobic. And she says those attacks are worth it. She told us there's a contagious disease at work. She believes that the number of kids who are born a girl and want to transition and identify as a boy is on the rise. And the reason for that uptick, Bridget told us, is because of social contagion. And this notion that becoming trans could be caught like a disease is scientifically not true. It's also something that people in the trans community find deeply offensive. A recent study in Pediatrics, the Journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics, found evidence that the number of transgender youth, specifically those assigned female at birth who transition, are not on the rise. Population numbers in recent years have stayed the same. But Bridget is passionate about her fight. She believes in what she has researched, no matter what the cost.
4: So, as many of you know, I think the last couple years have really revealed uh, to parents uh, that uh, they are being ignored increasingly across our country when it comes to their kids' education. Uh, we have seen a curriculum embedded uh, for very, very young children, Uh, classroom materials about sexuality and woke gender ideology we've seen libraries that have clearly inappropriate uh, pornographic materials for for very young kids Uh, and we've seen services that were given to students without the consent or even knowledge of their parents across the country and we unfortunately that's happened here in the state of Florida you're going to hear from some parents uh, where that has happened thank you guys
2: Okay. Right That's Governor Ron DeSantis in March of last year. He was celebrating the passing of the Florida Parental Rights and Education Act. That's the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill. Bridget is a big fan of the governor. She praised him constantly during our interviews. She says she was influential in the drafting of the bill. We reached out to Governor DeSantis's office to ask about Bridget's specific input but he did not return any of our emails or calls. Many opponents have criticized the bill, saying it's broad and not easy to interpret. But in basic terms, if a trans kid comes out to their teacher, that teacher is obligated to tell that kid's parents, even if the child is not ready for that conversation. Critics have also said the bill takes away support from the LGBTQ student community. We wondered how the students were doing. That's after the break.
4: Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
0: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films, and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to more than a movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: When we got to Sarasota, we reached out to a local nonprofit called Also Youth. They provide support for young people in the LGBTQ community. And they connected us to a local student, someone who could talk to us about what it's like to be in school now that the Parental Rights Act has been passed. We decided to meet them at Starbucks. It was a little windy that day, and we apologized for the rough sound and the loud customers in the background. We sat outside. It was warm and sunny, and so was Nico.
6: Uh, hi, I'm Nico, I'm 16, and I'm in the 11th grade. And I was also going to ask you, what are your preferred pronouns? Uh, he, him.
2: We're referring to Nico by his first name only, since he's a minor. We met up with him and his mom. He had a little time before he had to go to his part-time job at a nearby big-box store. He's saving up for a car. He had colorful dyed streaks in his hair, and he wore a vintage rock band hoodie... He sipped from his frappuccino as we asked him questions. Real quick, Nico mentions dead naming. That means when someone refers to a transgendered person by their birth name or pronoun, and not by the name they're using after a transition. In
1: the last three years, like, what have you observed in schools? Like, has anything changed?
2: Um. So
6: I mean, with like. Everything that's happening here in Florida, I see, especially this year, years prior, my uh, teachers were allowed to ask me, like, what my pronouns are, they were allowed to ask me what my name is, and they didn't have to have my parents' permission. This year, uh, a teacher can get fired for, you know, not telling your parents that, you know, you use different pronouns or you go by a different name if they know. So uh, my teachers have been starting to do this thing where they write on a like, piece of paper asking for name and pronouns and stuff, and they have to be like, are we allowed to tell your parents or like whatever? Because they can get in a lot of trouble if they don't, but they don't want to disrespect um, the students. It's really uh, difficult because like, my parents know, but I have a lot of friends who parents don't know. And it's very sad um, that this is happening.
5: What are you observing with those
6: friends? Uh It's not good for like the mental health of kids who, because they're being constantly misgendered and like deadnamed every day by a like institution that's supposed to keep them safe. So it's very difficult because I know a lot of my teachers who have transgender students and they don't want to misgender or dead name them, but they have to, or they can get in a lot of trouble.
1: What happens to a LGBTQ youth or transgender youth when they are being misgendered? Like, what does that feel like? Because you've probably experienced that.
6: Yeah. Um, so it, it just, I don't know how to explain it. It feels like a sinking feeling in your chest and you just want to like scream because it's not you, you know? It's like someone calling you Bob when your name's Timmy. You know, it's, it feels wrong and it feels like, but it's even worse because you've been referred to this your whole life and a lot of people, just especially like your family, they don't respect it, you know? Um, and so it's like you're being called this different thing that's just not you, but it's worse. <laughs>
2: Nico's mom was sitting with us during the interview. She had really warm eyes. And the whole time he talked, she was quietly supportive, giving him the space to speak, constantly affirming him with smiles and nods. Nico's parents are divorced, and sometimes it's been hard for him. He told us a story about the first time he tried to come out. This was four years ago, before the Parental Rights Act had passed.
6: So I was in the seventh grade, and I told my teacher that I was trans. I told him that I use he in pronouns, and my name's Nico. And he threatened that, well, I say threatened, uh, but he was like, um, if I am going to call you this, I have to tell your parents. And at that point, my parents didn't know. I wasn't ready to tell my parents yet. And it was <laughs> not great because, like, my dad is also transphobic. So it's like, it's harmful because you don't know if a kid is in a dangerous situation you don't know what their parents are like so if you out them it's dangerous and you could be putting this child in a lot of harm for what like it's the child's identity it doesn't matter what the parents think I started crying um because it was like a very like heartbreaking thing that you know it was again I'm gonna be outed to people who I'm not ready to know yet. And it's a very, very special thing to come out. You know, it's very, very personal. And you don't want someone making that decision for you. It's not something that someone else should have the right to make that decision for you. So um, it put me in a really bad place mentally when he said that, because it was like, oh, well, I have to tell my parents now. I have to tell my parents before I'm allowed to be respected. <laughs> it's not a great feeling battling with yourself over, do I tell my parents when I'm not ready? Or do I just be disrespected constantly?
1: Real quick, we reached out to the Teachers Union. That's the Sarasota Classified Teachers Association. The president, Rex Ingrich, told us that teachers are having a hard time navigating this. They feel muzzled. They want to be supportive, but they also don't want to overstep the law. They're afraid of being fired. He said, quote, they're giving kids what they need, but they're scared of saying the wrong thing because parents might post something on social media. It's very litigious and nerve-wracking.
6: Schools should be a safe space for children to be allowed to experiment with themselves and experiment with like what they like and like make friends and like be themselves when maybe they can't at home and maybe they're not comfortable being themselves at home or being themselves outside of school they should have a place to be safe and they're not able to they're not able to with this new like legislature and these new bills being passed they're not allowed to be safe in a place that they that promised them that they are gonna be safe.
1: Is there a moment when, cause I remember it, when the legislation was happening, can you, is there a moment that you actually became aware of it? Do you remember that moment?
6: So I was talking to the president of the GSA club and he was telling me about this bill that's being passed and how it's going to affect us. And cause we ended up uh, as a club, we ended up writing letters to the, uh, I don't remember what's it's called, um, but we ended up writing letters to Ron DeSantis. Um, and sadly, it didn't do anything, um, but we did, we did write the letters. We were saying how this is going to affect us as students and how this is going to, and like our teacher, our sponsors wrote one, and like how it's going to affect them as teachers and how it's not a healthy thing to do and how it's not safe to uh, do. And so that's what the letters were about. Um, just trying to convince him to say no. Um, but this was after he already expressed that he was going to say yes. If it got passed, he was going to say yes, so. And what did
5: that feel like
6: in the moment? Um, <laughs> it felt heartbreaking. It kind of felt like um, someone throwing like rocks at the glass, because it was, we built up this glass to protect ourselves and now it's being shattered by someone who doesn't care about our best interests. Is it,
1: I mean, it's a very obvious question but do you fear for your safety?
6: I don't really go out that much. uh, And when I do go out, I go out to a very public like mall or something because it's more safe with people around and, but if I'm walking down the sidewalk with my friends, I'm afraid that something will happen because Hate crimes are so high and they are very real. And I mean, even if they don't know us, they still hate us for some reason. And it's, I do fear, I fear for my life. I don't, I cannot go outside without, you know, fearing. Why do you
1: think that this is their agenda?
6: Um, I think that uh, because of the idea of traditional family and because of this idea of um, that you have to be this specific way to be in, like, the perfect image, I think that it makes them hold a lot of hate in their heart for people who are not in this perfect image. And it causes ideas like eugenics, where, like, oh, well, if you're not perfect, then you should be put down. And
1: where does that come from?
6: I feel like it comes from, I'm going to be honest, uh, I'd say it's a taught behavior. Nobody is born with hate in their heart. It's something that's passed down from like generations. And if your parents hate queer people, you will probably hate queer people. And you will holster that hate in your heart. And with um, the fact that queer people are not being taught, their history is not being taught, they are being discriminated against in schools now, um, it's going to make more people hold more hate in their heart for uh, queer and trans people.
1: Nico says he wants to be a tattoo artist when he graduates high school and maybe do a little advocacy work on the side. He loves history and he's been reading books and articles about the history of LGBTQ people in America. Lately, he's gotten into learning about the Stonewall Riots. And he says he's grateful for the people who came before him, who fought for him.
6: Even if there are constantly being bills trying to be passed against trans and queer people, at least we have the the rights. You know, at least I am allowed to be out. And so having that historical context and even other historical context about how like even before then the battle that queer and trans people were facing through, all throughout history it's given me more pride in who i am and it's given me the ability to be open and happy about who i am they fought that very very like they fought that very difficult fight so that people like me can be open about who we are
1: we said goodbye to Nico and his mom as we packed up our recording gear we were struck by Nico's openness so self-aware he was so clear about who came before him and the fight they fought and he's proud to be part of the fight to come
3: It's ironic that I seldom feel like I get the opportunity to talk about academics, the most important things that we're there for. Um, And I hope that with the majority board flip, we have that opportunity. Um, I don't think the social challenges or social issues or topics are necessarily going to go away. But I do think that you're going to see a board, and I am going to take very strong role on this, of... Our role is going to be narrowly focused towards education and to make it very clear that that kind of promotion of anyone's. Like, I don't want people coming in and pushing any kind of like alt-right, super conservative Christian ideology that's not appropriate. I will will fight it on either side. I do. Like I said, I'm very, I pride myself in the consistency. It, It applies, the rules apply to everybody.
2: Towards the end of our interview with Bridget, she told us she was excited for the future, especially now that the board was majority conservative. We said goodbye. Bridget had a date at the country club to meet her family.
3: Oh, I mean, I really—I feel like I went through a counseling session. <laughs> like, no, I feel—I mean, I told my husband, I'm like, golly gee, I, I feel like I really. There was like a lot. I had to pull back some cobwebs. I couldn't remember certain things. Gone. It's been interesting because I forgot about a lot of the stuff. So anyway, well, I'm glad now it's not raining. So Bridget, thank
2: you. Thank nice you day. so thank much. You. And we'll All be right. we'll be in touch. Bye. Since we last left Bridget, a lot has happened. She was appointed chair of the Sarasota School Board. Her first act was to call for the firing of the school superintendent. She claimed there had been a communication breakdown. He denied it, but he resigned shortly after in December. And just before the holidays, Bridget spoke at an education conference hosted by Governor DeSantis. It was by invitation only. Big names in conservative education were in attendance like Betsy DeVos, Trump's Secretary of Education, and so were the Moms of Liberty co-founders. Bridget gave a talk on parental rights.
1: When we first started reporting this series, a profile of a polarizing school board member, we weren't sure what we'd find when we peeled back the layers. Bridget is a loving and caring mother, extremely hardworking. She has conviction in what she believes, and that appears to inspire many others. She always comes back to parents having ultimate control and the government nowhere near the children. But we also learned how Nico saw things because he has a clear vision, too.
6: I think they're fearful of change. I think they don't like that things are not as black and white as they thought they were. And I think that they do not like the fact that there is more than what is right in front of their eyes. They don't like the fact that there is more than fifth grade biology. (laughs) Uh, They don't like that if you are actually going to get into the root of things, you have to look farther in. And there is a lot more in the genetics and psychology of queer and trans people. And they do not like it. They do not like change. And they are so fearful because they don't want what their worldview and what they have set themselves on, they do not want that to change. They do not want what they see as right. They do not want that to be wrong. Nobody wants to be wrong, but they are so set on being right that it makes them hateful.
2: This episode is the final chapter of Bedrock USA Season 1. It was reported, produced, and hosted by us, Samantha Storey and Kathleen Quillian. Original music and scoring by Zachary Walter
1: and audio engineering by Blake Maples. Bedrock USA is edited by Jennifer Sondag, head of Bloomberg City Lab. Additional editing help by Nicole Flado and
2: Victor Iveas. Bedrock USA is a production of Bloomberg City Lab and iHeartRadio.